This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. Major challenges remain across the state in recruiting and retaining enough emergency medical service workers to keep ambulances running. It's that kid who's, who's, who's looking for something more in life. Maybe he doesn't want to go to college. Maybe he does want to go to college. Maybe she wants to do something different, whatever the case might be. Uh, but it's a very specific person who, who can do the job and stay in the job. Find out more about what is being done to bring people into the field, that story and more, coming up this West Virginia Morning. The Public Service Commission of West Virginia has approved a surcharge for West Virginia American water customers that will fund system-wide infrastructure improvements. The order entered Friday approved an agreement made in November between the utility and the commission's consumer advocate division. It allows West Virginia American Water to add a nearly 6% surcharge on monthly water bills. That increase equals about $3.5 for the average residential customer, the utility said in a statement. For most customers, the surcharge will be prorated for their first 2023 bill. The money will fund nearly $50 million in upgrades that utility plans to make in 2023. The surcharge was approved through West Virginia's Distribution System Improvement charge program and will allow the utility to more quickly recover the costs for infrastructure investments deemed to be in the public interest. The Supreme Court of Appeals of West Virginia has announced the justices who will lead the court in 2023 and 2024. Justice Beth Walker will take over as Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Justice Tim Armstead will serve as Chief Justice in 2024. John Hutchinson, who joined the court in 2018 and served as Chief Justice for 2022, will continue to serve as Justice on the court. His term ends December 31, 2024. Walker was elected to the Supreme Court in 2026 and began her 12-year term in January of 2017. She also served as Chief Justice in 2019. In 2018, Walker was on the court when West Virginia lawmakers completed the extraordinary move of impeaching four state Supreme Court justices for spending issues. Walker was accused of spending $131,000 on office renovations. However, she was ultimately acquitted of the impeachment charge in a trial before the state Senate in which she apologized for her role in the scandal. Armstead will serve as acting Chief Justice in 2023 when Walker is unable to participate in a case. The Allegheny Front, based in Pittsburgh, is a public radio program that reports on environmental issues in the region. Here's their latest story about tree identification. How well do you know your trees? This is the Allegheny Front Environment Update. I'm Kara Holsapple. I'm terrible at identifying tree species. So when I saw that Tree Pittsburgh, a nonprofit that looks to protect and restore the urban forest, was holding a tree identification walk in early December, I asked to tag along. 
The walk starts at the entrance gate of the historic Homewood Cemetery in Pittsburgh's East End. It's gray and blustery as I meet our guide, Joe Stavish, Tree Pittsburgh's education director. Winter's a great time to look at the silhouette of trees, so a lot of trees have different shapes to them, which are hidden by the leaves in the summertime. The roughly 200-acre cemetery is an accredited arboretum, one of only 23 cemeteries in the United States with that designation. Stavish reminds me and about a dozen others who joined the walk to stay out from under big branches when the wind kicks up. The first trees that I'm going to point out here that do have leaves on right now, um, these are conifers. Conifers are cone-producing trees. Uh, This tree here does have green leaves on, but these are not needles. These are considered scale leaves. And you can feel free to come up and look closely at them if you're not sure what I'm talking about. But picture like fish scales or scales on a snake or scales on a bird's leg. Anyone know what this tree is? A lot of people plant these at their homes, but they usually have them when they're much, much smaller. These are a tree that we call arborvitae. The challenge is that deer love to eat arborvitae in the wintertime. You need to put up some kind of a deer screen around them in the winter months. Uh, And then you can take it down for the rest of the year. So we're going to go over and look at one of the larger trees, which is right through here. So in the winter time, we have to be like nature detectives and we have to figure out what can we look at to identify a tree in the winter time. We can look at bark, but that's actually really challenging for a lot of our tree species because it looks so similar. Leaves on the ground might have been blown by the wind from another tree. Stavish says to look close to the trunk for a better chance of identifying the right leaves, seeds, or pots. And so if I come up against this trunk and I look around, um, I see lots of acorn caps. And so what type of tree would have an acorn cap? Oaks. So this is our northern red oak. Stavish says there are only two families of oak, red and white. So when we look at oak leaves, if the lobes are pointed or have bristle hairs on them, that means that that tree is in the red oak family, no matter where you go in the world. If those lobes are rounded and do not have any of those bristle tips, it's in the white oak family. Another way to ID trees in the winter months is by their branch, bud, and leaf patterns, which can be either opposite or alternate, Stavish says. During the walk, he steps under a tree without its leaves to point out the easy trick. When I walk up to this one, I can see one large bud on the end, but then I see two smaller buds here, and they're opposite of each other. I want you to remember the term mad horse. Mad horse will remind you of the trees in Pittsburgh, the trees in Pennsylvania, that have opposite leaves, opposite buds, like this one. M is for maple, A is for ash, D stands for dogwood, and chestnut stands for... So this is a horse chestnut here. They also have the opposite leaves, opposite branches. Stavis shows us about 20 different tree species in all. Varun Ravindran is getting a lot out of the walk. These visceral identification marks is what I was looking for, and that's exactly what I'm learning now, and it's fantastic. And it just makes you feel closer to trees. It's like identifying another person. Oh, I see you. Thank you all for coming out there. Uh, enjoy trees throughout there. You do not need to give me a round of applause. Thank you so much. Joe Stavish is the education director at Tree Pittsburgh. They hold tree ID walks each season. So to learn more and see some photos, head to AlleghenyFront.org. That's the Allegheny Front Environment Updates. I'm Carol Holsoffel. The Allegheny Front is based in Pittsburgh and reports on regional environmental news. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 751.
Rain and thunderstorms today. Gusty wind highs in the 60s and lower 70s. Rain and thunderstorms continue tonight with lows in the 40s and 50s. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy skies. Chance of rain and thunderstorms highs in the 50s and 60s. Support for the weather forecast is provided by the attorneys at Torres Save Law, representing firefighters, police officers, and West Virginia families. Information at TorresSaveAlaw.com. And by New South Media, which publishes West Virginia Living Magazine, celebrating the people and places that make the Mountain State a great place to live, play, eat, and stay. Subscriptions available at WVLiving.com. Major challenges remain across the state in recruiting and retaining enough emergency medical service workers to keep ambulances running. Randy Yoey spoke with State Emergency Medical Director Jody Ratliff on all that's being done now and planned for the future to keep your first responder EMT department fully staffed. In June, I saw that West Virginia had lost more than 1,900 EMTs over the past three years, and at then, the workforce was short by nearly a third. Is that still the general case? It is still the general case. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's stressful for the EMS directors in the state right now. Uh, they're, they're trying to recruit as best as they can, um, and that they're, that everybody's looking for different ways to recruit people and, and get them in the workforce into EMS. You told the recent legislative interim committee that the future of EMS across West Virginia is trending positively. You know, so what are the biggest challenges to EMT recruitment and retention, and what are the key developments helping meet those challenges? The EMS is interesting because it takes a special kind of person to go into EMS. So it's it's the the directors out there have to target that person. Typically, we like to target them uh, when they're first coming out of high school. And, and it's that kid who's, who's, who's looking for something more in life. Maybe he doesn't want to go to college. Maybe he does want to go to college. Maybe she wants to do something different, whatever the case might be. Uh, but it's a very specific person who, who can do the job and stay in the job. So the challenges are, one, finding that person. And then today's society, um, getting the right pay for that person and then the right benefits for that person. You know, most of us at 18 years old, we weren't thinking about benefits. We were just looking at the pay. But in EMS, after 20 or 30 years, it, it wears and tears on your body. And that's when benefits really come into play. Talk about the streamlining regarding the online EMT certification websites. It's basically a self-service it's to allow the EMS folks out there to do what they want to do without having to call us all the time, without having to email us all the time, and then wait for us to get around to it. It makes it, a, it streamlines the whole process. They can go in, they can do it all, and within just a few hours, they can have someone certified. That was a barrier, huh? That was a barrier. At one time, it was taking anywhere from one to four weeks to, to, to get someone certified. Jody, you now have a command center and have updated education policies. Talk about the benefits there. We've kind of been in a um, stuck in the mud over the last probably 10 or 15 years with, with the same education on the same thing. And we know if we're going to push EMS into the future and have it part of the, uh, the health care system, uh, then we have to educate our folks better. Um, and we're going to do that. We can't really do much with the initial education. That's, that's set by national standards. But what we can do is, is, is up the, the, the state education, and that's what we hope to do. We hope to up that state education and help the EMS providers out there really become part of that system. I believe there's a partnership with one, if not more, uh, universities or colleges when it comes to leadership training. It is. So the leadership training was through University of Charleston. They did a great job. I just went to the uh, 
um, the, the graduation over there where Governor Justice spoke, and it was it, it, it warmed my heart to see all those folks out there and, and how many people took that took the opportunity to go through that class. And then we have uh, partnerships with a lot of the community colleges who teach the paramedic program. We see that when you have mid-level management, that leadership training and, and management training has really started to pay off, it seems like, across state agencies. It has. Absolutely, it has. Uh, and, and people love that. Um, and, and I've spoken to a few of our people that, that went out west and was doing some stuff out west uh, and they came back and flout told me, said, when they spoke to the EMS people out west, they didn't, you know, no, none of their governors had did that for them. None of their states had did that for them. So when they came back, it, it was great to hear that, that our governor stepped up and, and did that. Explain what the normalization of treat-in-place policies means and how it takes pressure off the state's emergency rooms. It'll affect the diabetic, a seizure patient, or a COPD, right? So what it amounts to is um, it's common that we, we EMS will go out and they'll run a diabetic patient, and when they do this, the, the, the patient won't be responding correctly. They'll have a low blood sugar. Uh, they'll go out. They'll start an IV. They'll give D50, wake the patient up. When the patient comes back around, what we tend to find out is maybe the patient took their insulin, missed their breakfast, something along those lines. As soon as we give them the D50 and they come back around, they don't want to go to the hospital. Now, that's a, it's, it's, it's a very specific patient that we're targeting on that because, you know, diabetics range. There, there's a big range. And we don't want to miss anybody going to the hospital that should be going to the hospital. So we're, we're very specific on the patients that we're targeting for that treatment in place. And what it does is it allows us to treat in place, keeps that patient out of the, the ER, that the ER staff knows that, all they had to do was eat once they, went, once they got the D50, and then they're going to go home. So it clears us up, clears the ER staff up and the beds up in the ER, and allows us to get back in service sooner. Some of the $10 million that was allocated by the governor to address these challenges went into the answer to the call recruitment and retention campaign. How's that work? When you come into EMS, it takes time to go through the EMT process or paramedic process or, 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 and, and get all the education. So we're not going to see the true effects of it, the true success probably until the upcoming 2023. That's when we're really going to start to see, you know, how many people we was able to get in. Um, and then some of the people that we lost during that process of maybe didn't complete class, we're not done with them. We still want to go back out and target those people and say, hey, we want you to come back in. Let's try it again. We're finding different ways to educate people. Jody, is there anything else that you want to tell me about where EMS stands and where it's going that I didn't ask? EMS uh, in, in the state of West Virginia, there's still a lot of um, sleepless nights. People working to make sure they get their shifts covered. Uh, people trying to find uh, more employees out there to come into EMS. So we encourage anybody who wants, who's ever thought about a career in EMS to, to come out and join us. You know, we're, we're more than happy to, to train you, get you educated, and, and, and create a future for you. That was State Emergency Medical Director Jody Ratliff speaking with Randy Yowie. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Curtis Tate, Chris Schultz, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Liz McCormick, Randy Yowie, and Shepard Snyder. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning.